We're in the middle of a new sermon series here at Emmaus. I say we're in the middle, that's not quite true. We're in week two of a new sermon series that we are calling, calling Building Foundations, Not Fences. Let me go find my trusty table back here. Building Foundations, Not Fences. And we have a webpage set up for that, emmausokc.org slash foundations. If you wanna find sermon notes, resources for this sermon series, you can go on our website and that information will be on there. Last week, we talked about the topic of race and ethnicity. This week, we're talking about class, money, finances, how people see one another when it comes to money. The next couple of weeks, we'll be dealing with politics and then issues about marriage and gender. And, and people might look at this and say, why? <laughs> what, why are we doing this, Owen? And that's a legit question. Let me just say, I've asked myself that question a few times as well. Why, why are we doing this? And the most straightforward way I could tell you for why we're doing this is because these are questions people are asking. We can either bury our head in the sand or, or build up fences and walls around us and say, well, we're just not gonna deal with these things. But frankly, I don't think that works. I, I think we have to be willing to engage these questions because if you're not engaging these questions, I can tell you who is talking about these questions. It's your kids, your teenagers, your college students and young adults, they're, they're living in this world where these questions are impacting the way they think about faith and the way they think about the church. And so as a church family, when we're dealing with these questions over the next few weeks, we're asking, what does God's word say about these things? I'm gonna be so careful not to throw out a bunch of buzzwords and this isn't about having a bunch of talking points. Our goal with this is to say, what does God's word, Christian theology, the good news of Jesus, how does, it, those, how does God's word speak to these topics? Because I think if we'll go through these topics together, what will end up happening is it actually draws us together. Topics that otherwise could divide us can strengthen the church because when you run down those list of topics that were up there earlier, it doesn't take long to realize you're not the only person asking those questions. You're not the only person dealing with something like this in your family, and so it brings us together and, and as it brings us together it also allows us to go out and share the good news of Jesus with people around us let me say it like this this sermon series is not designed to be controversial it's designed to be missional that as we answer these questions as we seek God's word on these things it would drive us to share the good news of Jesus with people around us we live in an incredible part of the world great families great school system, incredible businesses, just a wonderful place to live. But you go behind those social media posts, you go behind someone's nice front door, and behind closed doors you find people who are hurting. You find people who are lonely, you find people who are anxious, fearful, and they're not looking initially to Jesus for hope. And so what we want to say is God's word speaks to what people are dealing with today. And as God does that work in our hearts, he drives us out to share the good news of Jesus with people around us, that that's what we're committed to as a church. I looked at some statistics this last week. From 2021 to 2026, projections are that 8,000 people will move within five miles of Emmaus. From 2021 to 2026, we'll see an increase of 8,000 people within a five mile radius around our church family. Are we prepared 
Are we prepared? Is God doing that work in our hearts? Is God doing that work in our church where we're able to look at someone going through a hard situation in life, asking a hard question, and able to say, there's hope. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about the truth of God's word. I want to be able to have a conversation with you about these things that are happening. I pray that this morning and in the weeks to come, God would do a work in your heart where more than ever you would trust him and more than ever you would want to see his message go to the people around us. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning, as we start to go down that journey together? Father, thank you for the gift of a local church. God, thank you for these kids up here on stage singing with us. Thank you for the kids that have learned about you in their Sunday school classes this morning and, and enjoyed doing that. The gift of being able to gather this afternoon and have fun. God, you give us so many good gifts. And our desire is that we would be grateful for those and that we would use those gifts, not to worship the gifts, but to use those gifts to be able to bring honor and glory to you and to see the gospel spread. So fathers, we talk about money this morning, which is a very uncomfortable topic for many of us to talk about. As we talk about money and finances and the way that societies are divided by class, God, help us to know more of what your word says about this. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So many of you know that I'm semi-addicted to podcasts. I listen to way more podcasts than I ever should. If you ever need podcast recommendations, tread lightly, but come ask me and just be prepared for maybe what I would, what I would send your way. But I really enjoy podcasts. And if I'm trying to catch up on what's happening in the world of sports, one of the podcasts that I'll often listen to is the Pardon the Interruption, the PTI uh, podcast with Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser. Those guys have been on TV for a long time, but I'm never home to watch when they're on TV, and so I'll catch their podcast. And if there's something going on in the world of sports, some decision being made, Tony Kornheiser has a line that he'll use in response to those stories where he says, the answer to all of your questions is money. If you have a question about anything that's happening in the world, if you have a question about anything that's going on in the world of sports, the answer to all of your questions is money. There's something behind the scenes. And, and we realize how quickly that becomes true in our world. When you're thinking about why did somebody do X or why did somebody do Y or why is this problem going on in the world, there's a good chance that the answer to all your questions is money. And last week, as we talked about the issue of race and ethnicity and how quickly race and ethnicity can divide people from one another, I would submit to you, I think sometimes in the particular area that we live in, in America here, even Oklahoma, I think sometimes the issue of money and class actually divides us more than race and ethnicity does in, in our particular part of the world. You think about the way we perceive people based on how much money they have or what neighborhood they live in or what kind of car they drive or if you're a teenager, what kind of shoes they wear. Uh, all these type of questions about money can, can quickly divide us and it causes tension in our heart. I don't know about you, but Money is probably at the top of the list for me when it comes to causes of anxiety. Just things that cause fear, cause anxiety in our life. Some people battle pride and greed when it comes to money. You think about the way money can divide a family. As a pastor, some of the worst moments I've seen are after a loved one passes and you see a family start to fight about money 
and estates and resources and the way money that should be a good gift can start to tear a family apart after the passing of a loved one. Whatever business you're involved in, politics, money's usually at the heart of what's causing divisions there. And if we're not careful, and this is why I wanted Brian to speak to us this morning, if we're not careful, money can begin to cause division within a church family. Division between a pastor and the congregation, division between a church and the missionaries that they support, division between those in the church who have more to give and those who have less to give. It's not always on the surface, but below the the surface, if we're not careful, money can begin to divide a church and make people bitter and begin to pit people against one another. And at that moment, we started fighting with one another and we've lost focus on what God's really called us to do, to share the gospel with people around us. In the early church, one of the things they dealt with was that you had people coming into church and the people who had a lot of money, they didn't really have to work very much and so they would show up early and start to eat the food and the people who had been working all day, they would come in later and there wasn't enough available and it was causing splits in the church related to the topic of money. So our job this morning is to say, what does God's word say about this? How do we view people based on money? How do we view money itself, the resources we have? How do we do this in a godly way? So. A good place to start would be Genesis chapter one, verse one (laughs) on the screen. We'll just start there. If we're gonna start someplace in the Bible about what a topic is all about, we might as well start in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible begins with this concept of God's sovereignty over everything that exists. Everything that exists is his. And because of that, we can use this phrase Everything we have is from him, and everything we have is for him. When we think about anything we own, anything that we possess, anything that's around us, the only reason it exists is because of the power and sovereignty of God. It's from him, and therefore, it is for him. There's a comedian that Amanda and I like to listen to from time to time named Dustin Nickerson, uh, and Dustin has this little comedic bit that he does where he's talking about his kids complaining about the fact that he has access to their phone's passwords and they have to bring their phone in every night to plug it in their bedroom and he can get into their phone and his kid tells him dad it's like this phone is not even mine and Dustin says, now you're getting it. Now you understand how, how this works. You're correct, it's not your phone, it's actually mine, and I'm just giving it to you so I can know where you are. That's, that's what's going on here. The idea that what we have is not really ours, it's God's, that he is sovereign over all things that exist. And the question is, what are we doing with those things that he's given us? Genesis chapter two, verse 15. God creates, Adam and Eve creates humanity, in his image to be able to extend his glory and his love into the world. And it says that the Lord God took the man that he had created and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now I'll just tell you right now, there is a really neat rabbit hole we can go down with the words work and keep and what's going on in the Old Testament with those words because they're also words that are connected to the Levites doing work in the temple. And so it's like God has put humanity in the garden to do a priestly type of work. It's it's a really beautiful picture there. But the key I want you to see here 
is this idea of God's sovereignty leads to human stewardship. God's sovereignty, that he creates all things, he's given us this world in which we live, the result of God's sovereignty is human stewardship, that we would live in this world and we would extend God's work into the world as we work and keep the things that he has given us, which would be a beautiful picture except there's Genesis 3 in your Bible. <laughs> you have this picture of creation, got sovereignty, human stewardship, and then sin enters the picture. And in Genesis 3 through 11, you see what happens when people begin to desire the creation more than they do the creator. We begin to take these things that God has given us, and we desire the theme, and we lose sight of the one who gave them to us to begin with and we start to use them for our own purposes, and we start to build towers up to heaven, and we start to say, I wanna keep everything close to me instead of spreading out over the globe the way that God has called his people to do. And so in Genesis 12, he calls a man named Abram and says, you're gonna leave your place of financial security. You're gonna leave your family and your home, and by faith, you're going to go out, and I'm gonna use you so my light is spread around the globe. And throughout the Old Testament, you see biblical wisdom beginning to develop about how we use resources. You have the law and the prophets. So often in the law and the prophets, the teaching is about how are we giving to the work of God and not just the work of God, how are we treating people who are on the outside? How do we treat the orphans and the widows and the foreigners and those who don't have as much? God's people when he begins to get frustrated with them, it's so often about how they're treating people who are vulnerable, who don't have as much. And you have the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Small, small break here on the book of Proverbs to say this. If you don't have any type of personal Bible reading and you always kind of get confused, what should I read from the Bible? I don't really know what to read from the Bible. One interesting plan is the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. There are 31 days in a month. Sometimes a really good practice is just, hey, what, what day of the month is it? And begin to read that book or that chapter from the book of Proverbs. So many of those Proverbs speak about finances and, and how we gain wealth and what we do with the resources that God has given us. And then you get to the teaching of Jesus and Jesus is teaching about finances all the time, about how we're not laying up treasure on earth, but we wanna take these things and we wanna use them for eternal heavenly purposes. And something that sometimes gets left out is how much the female disciples, the, not, not the 12 apostles, but, but the female disciples who followed Jesus, how much they used their material resources to fund the ministry that Jesus was doing. And, and that kind of just turns upside down so many things we think about the New Testament. But Luke chapter eight, you have these ladies who are providing from their resources so that the ministry that Jesus is doing can continue. And in the early church, the people are getting together and they're saying, everything that I have, I want to be able to share with those around me. I want to be able to share with the church that there would be no need that would go unmet. If God's given me this, I hold it open-handed. I want to be able to use it to be able to minister to others. So many teachings about this, but if there's one place I could point you for this morning, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you would, if you have your Bible open, I know you thought I'd forgotten about 1 Timothy. I had not. I needed to build some momentum to get there. Um, 1 Timothy chapter six, get access in your phone or a hard copy Bible or the verses will be up on the screen as well. 
And even more strategically, I would have opened there first as well, but I have not. All right, here we go. Let's begin to look at 1 Timothy 6. And we're trying to think, we're trying to think, God, what does your word say about finances? How I view other people and, and how I'm using those finances for myself. Let's think about this. Verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine or does not agree and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with deceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Now, stop just for a minute. We're about to talk about verses that deal with finances and money, but I want you to see something really interesting here. Paul is leading into this discussion by talking about false teachers. There's a connection in scripture between people teaching things that are not true about Jesus and the misuse of finances. And if you don't believe me, watch some religious television over the next week and then turn it off at certain points. But there is a connection between teaching that is not true about God's word and not true about Jesus and, and the misuse of money. And specifically, what are two topics that are brought out here? Conceit, this, this idea of pride, this idea of greed, and, and stirring up controversy. If you're trying to identify whether or not someone is a teacher to be trusted, if they are prideful and they stir up controversy, be so careful. That is a massive red flag, which, when you think about engaging on social media, if someone comes across as prideful and they are prone to stir up controversy, massive red flag there that something's going on there. What happens in the middle of verse four? It says this person has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce what happens when false teachers do their work, what kind of people are produced, produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. That's a terrifying verse for a church. What happens when false teaching occurs? You create a people who are envious, they're constantly in dissension, they speak badly of one another, they don't think the best of other people, and there's constant friction among them. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be a part of that kind of church. I don't want to be a part of, of that kind of group. And it grows up so quickly. Then, what does it lead to? What's the last characteristic of this type of church? They imagine that godliness is a means to gain something for themselves. When in fact, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse seven. This is the verse that some of your parents spoke to you in a certain form. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of the world. <laughs> Have you heard a form of that spoken to you from, from your parents? You know, brought you into this world, I'm gonna still take you out, you know. We brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But, verse eight says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Man, I want that to be true in my life. And, and I realize it's not always true. In fact, it's probably not as true as it, as it should be. You're doing so well spiritually. Like you just wanna give everything away and you're excited about the gospel and you wanna see things happen. 
And then that night you order something dumb on Amazon that you didn't really need. And you're like, oh, I was making progress here. Like my heart, my heart was in the right place and I was ready to give everything away. And then, or, or you find yourself in a really content place. You're at peace. Life is going really well. You're like, God, thank you for what you've given me. And then you open social media and somebody went on an amazing vacation or bought something new and then you feel your heart getting envious and you're like, what happened? I, I was just content and at peace and now all of a sudden I find myself envious. These things can, can come up. What do we need? God's provided. Verse nine, those who desire to be rich, those who want what they don't have, want more, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For, verse 10, a verse that many of you are familiar with, you've heard before, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The way that love of money can just overcome us that we want what we don't have or we want to hold on to what we already have and get more and it begins to take hold of us and then it pulls us away from faith. One of the realities of scripture is that how we handle money, how we view money, says a lot about what we believe about God. And I know that's terrifying because it feels terrifying to me, but how we view money and how we handle money says a lot about what we believe about God, about where our faith is, where our focus is. Jump down to verse 17. Paul, Paul deals with some other issues. And then in verse 17, he comes back to this topic. And he's dealing with a group of people that already have a lot. As for the rich in this present age. And if for a moment you're tempted to say, well, hey, that's not me. Maybe not in the world in which we live, but if we take ourselves and we compare it to most of the globe, it is us. That, that absolutely is us. Those who are rich in this present age. What are we supposed to do? Charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God. Don't, don't put your hope in something that could be gone tomorrow. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now we need to stop here for just a minute because this is a part of a verse that we sometimes do very poorly of, or poorly at when it comes to Christianity. And, and I'm probably the worst offender of this. Look again at the end of verse 17. Why does God give us these things? Why do we have these things? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In Christianity, we think God has richly provided us with all these things to feel guilty about. <laughs> or uh, God has richly provided us with all these things that we worry are going to be gone one day. What has God given? He's given these things so we can enjoy them. And allow that this morning to just let you take a deep breath and to say, God has provided the things that you have that you would enjoy them. Now, it doesn't mean that we take those things that God has provided and we use them for unholy purposes or that we begin, be, begin to become self-indulgent. But as Christians, when it comes to resources and possessions and money, our lives should be characterized by joy. And it's a joy that is built on gratitude and on humility. 
that says, God, thank you for giving me these things. I want to enjoy the world in which you have placed me. I want to enjoy the things that you have given my family. And I do that with humility and gratitude so that in that joy, I would turn around and say, God, I want to use these for however you would call me to use them. But I hope that verse is, is a good gift to you this morning that says, if you've been given nice things, if God has blessed your family, it is good and right to enjoy those things in a way that honors the Lord and advances the kingdom and strengthens the church. Verse 18, what are you supposed to do if you're rich? Well, if you're rich, do good. Be rich in doing good works. Be generous and ready to share. This sounds exactly like the verse they're probably teaching in the preschool and children's ministry this morning. Like these are good kids ministry verses that work great when you're an adult. What do you do if you have a new toy? Well, you do good with it and you share it with people around you. What do you do if God's blessed you and your family? You do good with it and you share it with people around you. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here in just a second, I have a phrase I wanna put in front of you that I think will be helpful for our church family when it comes to dealing with this topic of, of money and finances. But before we get there, Based on verse 19 right here, I wanna ask you a question. Where is your hope found in life? Where's your hope in life? Because what verse 19 is driving at is no matter how much money or how many possessions you might have in this life, one day that will not matter. All of those possessions, all of those resources are ultimately temporary, but there is an eternity in front of us. And as we say at Emmaus, there are two problems that every person on earth faces but can't overcome on their own, and that's the reality of sin within my life and the reality of death. And we can't buy our way out of those things. You can't invest your way out of those things. You can't strategize your way out of sin and death. But the beautiful picture is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That we could never give enough to God to earn eternal life, but that's exactly the point. He has given himself to us. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so if you are living your life wondering if you have done enough or given enough to make it to heaven, can I help you out? You have not, <laughs> and you cannot, and you will not. But God has provided everything that is necessary for your salvation. He has provided everything that is necessary to have hope both now and for eternity. And so if you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, I know we're talking about money and finances and it might be the topic you hate the most about the church, but I am here to tell you the most important thing we will say this morning is that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. He has taken your sin upon himself on the cross and through his resurrection, you have the hope of eternal life. When we turn and we open our hands before him and say, Jesus, I need your salvation. I need your life. I've tried to get my life together. I've tried to do enough. I've tried to give enough. I can never do enough. And so I receive what you've done for me that that is at the core of what we're talking about today, that that is the message we wanna share with the world around us. And when we know that that is true in our lives, when we've received that gift of salvation, 
how do we then live as the people of God? I want to put this phrase in front of you to kind of edge us toward the end of our time this morning, but also just to think about in the days to come. Biblical foundation for finances is found when we live as managers with margin on mission. Am I excited that those three letters start with the, or words start with the letter M? Yes, I am. Um, but I'm also excited because it could help you, and it could be a good way for you to think about God's work in your life when it comes to finances. That as followers of Jesus, we would be managers with margin on mission. Best way I know to summarize what God's word says about this topic. What does it mean to be a manager? To be a manager is to realize that these things that I have, that they're God's, they're ultimately his, and he's given them to me. I have a responsibility. The old school word that we would use here is stewardship. I was afraid that kids in the room might not understand the word stewardship as well. Plus, stewardship, you'll notice, doesn't start with the letter M. Uh, so the word manager just, just worked a lot better there. That we would be humble, intentional managers. The type of managers that Jesus got upset with in the New Testament were the lazy managers who, who God had given them these talents and these resources and they just buried them and didn't do anything with them. To be a manager is not to be passive. To be a manager, a good steward of what God has given us is to be active, to work hard, to say, God, how can I use these things to strengthen the church and, and advance the gospel? And here's the beautiful thing, and, and maybe the thing I love most about this point on management. The person around you who is super wealthy and God's given them a lot of resources and a lot of money and, and they've done really well in life, you know what they are as well? They're a manager. You know the person who struggles financially and doesn't have as much and is barely getting by? You know what they are as well? They're a manager as well. The beauty of this piece of scripture is that every one of us, no matter how much money we have, we come to the cross at the same level and we live with the same purpose, that we would be managers, that we would put what God has given us to work. Now, how do we do that? We gotta have margin in life. We gotta have enough margin where our life is not constantly chaotic, where we're not being controlled by money, but we're in control of those things that, that God has given us so that we can live in a way that is, is open and flexible. How do you build margin in your life? Well, one of the things I could tell you, find someone who you know who does this well and spend time with them. That is the best way I can tell you to do this. In the spring, our church offers a, a financial management class. Get yourself to that on Wednesday nights this spring, but in the process, find someone you respect who you feel like has built margin in their life, who's honoring the Lord with their finances, who's done this, and just say, could you give me some time? Could you talk to me about how God's worked in your life in this area? Because if there's something that we probably struggle with the most, it's this idea of margin. Most of us, and I include myself in the middle of this camp, most of us are stretched so thin when it comes to finances and time that we don't have enough margin around us to do some of those things that God might be calling us to do. And so we wanna be managers with margin who live on mission. That whatever God has given us, 
This is not just for this life. This is for the mission that he has set in front of us, that we would take those things and we would live with intention and purpose. One of the most frustrating things is to find someone who is wealthy in possessions and finances in this world, and they have no purpose with their life. They're not, they're not doing anything with it that brings impact to people around them or, or that spreads the gospel to other people. Let's be managers with margin who are living on mission. What does that look like at, at Emmaus? Well, I think at Emmaus, it looks like a young couple who is going through some hard things financially, and God puts them in a store where they encounter somebody in need, and even in their difficult situation, they reach out and minister to that person, and not only meet his physical needs, but, but care for him spiritually. It looks like a couple that showed up in my office this last week, and, and God has blessed them, and use them to minister to teenagers over the year, and they showed up at our office, my office this week with an incredible gift for student ministry and said, we've ministered to students throughout our life, we wanna keep ministering to students in the years to come. It looks like a family in our church who this last year said, we wanna to give toward local missions so that we can continue to do work in our community and our schools, and it doesn't put us in a bad place with our budget. Let's reach the community with the gospel, and we wanna be able to help with that. Doing this in Emmaus is a check we receive every year from a gentleman's estate who passed away years ago, but he left a portion of his estate to Emmaus, and every year a check comes in from that, and we're able to use that money to minister to kids and to reach out to people in the community. One of the ways that this looks like at Emmaus is in our West property, where we're putting in a pavilion and little ball fields and maybe a walking track, depending on how, how much finances we have available. So we've got some things going on back there that are gonna be really special. And when, when I think about that happening, when I think about that happening in the West property, I think about the dad who brings his kid to t-ball practice, and he could care less about church, but he's obsessed with his kid being a good athlete, and he gets here. And because of what's happening on our campus, someone speaks to him about church and about the gospel, and generations are changed because of that. Or I think about a family or a Sunday school class that has a party out there under the new pavilion, and they're bringing people together who wouldn't be together otherwise. Or I think about what it is to reach these neighborhoods around us, that God placed this church family here in 1986 with the hope that one day neighborhoods would grow up around this little country church. And guess what's happened? Neighborhoods have grown up around this little country church and God has placed us here in such a way that we would see the gospel spread to our neighbors and to all nations. How do we get there? We get there with I surrender all. Everything that I have is from you, God and everything I have is for you. Let me be a manager with margin on mission so that people would know the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word that teaches us when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, something that can just feel so awkward to talk about got so much division in our world that when we recognize your sovereignty, when we realize that you alone bring salvation, it sets us free. We're not living for the treasure of this world. 
We don't want to gain this whole world and lose our soul. God, we recognize that everything we have is from you, and we want to use that in a way that honors you. We want to enjoy those things. And God, I pray that if there are people here this morning who have been struggling with this topic, maybe they find themselves It'd be hard to admit, but they just feel bitter toward other people about money, or they they feel so anxious and fearful about this topic. God, would you bring peace and and renewed focus to our lives this morning? God, if there are people here this morning who you've blessed in tremendous ways financially and given them these possessions, guard their heart against any form of conceit or pride where they would think that they have these things because of what they've done. God, that, that you would humble them, remind them, that these are gifts from you and that you called them to manage these things in a way that advances the mission. And God, we wanna do this well as a church family. Guide us in this way. And God, as we stand and sing this song, use this to cement within our hearts a desire to honor you in every area of our lives, including our finances. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.